This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up, Chad? Happy summer officially now. Yeah, officially. I am done with work. I am leaving for vacation this next weekend. I bought a truck. <laughs> it, it has been <laughs> very busy. I'm spending a lot of money and... That's yep. not saying I have a lot of money, <laughs> <laughs> especially not now, but uh, we'll, we'll work through it. How are things going with you? Things are fine. Busy as all get out, but good busy. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't imagine why. No, no, no reason. No big things happening this year. I'm also not spending much money. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> My bank is concerned. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a big year, um, but we're, it's going to be fine. So let's go ahead and get started here. Apple Podcast Review. We have a new one from Naftali305. Thank you for your kind podcast review. Uh, We appreciate you helping us out. And moving right along into our first episode of discussion today, Tallahassee. It aired on February 16th, 2012, directed by Matt Sohn and written by Daniel Chun. On their first day in Tallahassee, Dwight's team from Scranton is reintroduced to a couple of familiar faces, Todd Packer and Nellie Bertram, who is now the president of Special Projects for Sabre. Dwight, eager to impress, is unfortunately suffering from appendicitis and has to find a way to cope with that without losing his chance at becoming vice president. Back at the office, things are quieter, and Andy experiments with a new role at the branch. We have met Nellie before. We saw Nellie last when we were interviewing for regional manager of the branch. This was Joe's front. So she's back and is a higher up in the company now. And Dwight is very, very concerned, very eager to impress her, eager to uh, have her see him as a leader, so much so that he feels sick to his stomach. At least that's what he thinks it is. He starts kind of self-medicating, taking, you know, Pepto and Tums and trying to make himself feel better. Turns out he does have appendicitis, so the day does not go as planned. He thinks that Jim has poisoned him because Jim jokes that that's what happened. And so when he finally feels sick enough to call the doctor, he seriously asks Jim, hey, what did you poison me with? Jim says, idiot, I did poison you. You're sick. So he gets whisked away to the hospital and gets thrown into surgery. And is very, very reluctant to leave because he has learned that there is this vice presidency position opening up. And he just, for for quite a while during the episode, refuses to go to the hospital. Yeah, the whole Packer being back thing definitely kicks his competitive nature into a higher gear. uh, Because the last we saw Packer, Jim and Dwight were tricking him into leaving for Florida. And somehow... He ended up on his feet. I was wondering, do you think he is the branch manager of maybe not a Dunder Mifflin that is down in Florida, but some other Sabre company or branch or affiliate down here in Tallahassee? Because when Nellie leads him in a team building exercise in building a human pyramid, Packer says, hey, Tallahassee, come on up, participate. And it's like he's in charge. That didn't cross my mind um, that he might be the branch manager, but that, I mean, it does sound like that if that's what he said. The reasoning I could give for him landing on his feet in Florida is slim to none, except maybe it was one of those situations, sort of like Pam, where she made a position for herself where, you know, Packer just sort of weaseled his way into <laughs> into a job down in Florida. But yeah, I, I, I guess that would make sense that he would be a uh, original manager down there. And I mean, not that either of us like Packer, but that's nice for him <laughs> that he landed on his feet and, uh, and is still involved in the company. 
Well, that's a point that I was actually going to get into a little bit more in the next episode. Uh, Packer is a traveling salesman by trade. Like that's what he's been doing at Dunder Mifflin all these years uh, was a traveling salesman, which means he does all of his sales face to face. And so he has... I mean, as as trash a person as trash a person he is, he has good people skills, and so I imagine that if he showed up, it would have been Joe Bennett at the time. If he showed up at Joe's doorstep and was like, "Hey, uh, I'm here for the job," maybe he was able to sort of slip away in and get himself a position. But anyways, I just thought it was something to consider because I hadn't thought of it before. It was he he calls up Tallahassee like he's got his own team there, just like Dwight has Scranton. He would call up Scranton to participate. But anyway, Packer being there at all kicks Dwight's competitive nature into a higher gear. And that's why he is so keen to ignore his appendicitis symptoms and instead like stay and try to tough it out, which eventually leads to him passing out, uh, just like going out cold during the team building exercises. He tries to climb to the top of the pyramid. Now, Nellie is a really strange person. When we first meet her in this episode... She is hiding amongst everybody who's there. And she says uh, to Ryan, she whispers to Ryan, hey, you need to ask who's running this thing. And so Ryan says, oh, who's running this thing? She says, say, I can't wait to meet him. He says, oh, I can't wait to meet him. She goes, him? And so she makes this big deal about her being a woman instead of a man. And she goes into this whole, whole speech about her having a whopping penis that's her brain and everybody needs to stop looking at her breasts and start looking at her penis. And it's really, really strange. And she's really sort of self-deprecating at first. And it's, it's really weird. There's not a whole lot of organization to what's happening, at least at first, although it does get into the, the presentations and uh, then Dwight starts to sort of dig his own little hole uh, when it comes to the presentations, because he shows up out of nowhere from his surgery is ill-prepared and almost completely buries the uh, the script the Scranton team because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. He calls Aaron while he's in the hospital to see what he's been missing, and he learns that Jim is going to be giving this presentation instead of Dwight, and he can't stand that. I think between Packer being there and being competitive, and Jim giving this presentation, and couldn't have Jim do it. So Dwight gets so upset that he gets himself to the meeting. IV in tow and demands to be part of the day. And he gets through this presentation. It's offensive, which probably was to be expected. And he's also clearly in pain and he's not prepared. It's not his best, but he does get through it. He starts bleeding from his incision site during the presentation, but I mean, he makes it through. Uh, not his best. And he's not, I don't think, proud of himself for his work, but he's proud. It, it seemed as some power move to show up at all. And I guess it was. I mean, it was crazy, but he did it. The thing is, Dwight is the one who is tasked by Robert to bring the team from Scranton to Florida. So if his team had done the presentation themselves and had done well doing it because they were well-researched and prepared, then it would have reflected well on him as a leader. Him giving the presentation himself without the research, without the knowledge on the subject is more detrimental to him. And he almost doesn't walk out of it in a good light. Mm -hmm. But luckily, at the very end of his presentation, he sort of pulls it off with a ridiculous statement about uh, the desire to dominate the retail space being the most important thing. And oh, oh my goodness, I did it. I, I called her Donna. Uh, <laughs> and Nellie 
also being a ridiculous person, identifies with this statement about desire being the, the most important thing. So in the end, it does become a race between Dwight and Packer for this VP retail position. But it's just, if, if Dwight had left it alone, it probably would have ended up better for him. It would have reflected better on him because his team was prepared to do what they needed to do. Anything else to talk about with that pair? For this episode. No, I think that's it for this episode. Yeah. We get a, a bit of them next episode as well. Back in Scranton, Erin is away and she's the receptionist, of course. So Pam figures out why it's been so quiet. Erin set the phone to voicemail and oh, she figured that out. So it makes sense in Andy's brain to have Pam cover reception. She used to be the receptionist. She knows how it all works. But Pam has work to do. So Andy steps in. And he answers the phone, and it turns out that he loves reception. He swears he doesn't like it, but he totally does. And it's just Mr. Mr. Reception. He puts out snacks and new magazines and inspirational posters that he's made, and he feels like he's found his calling. Well, first off, I'm really glad that Pam refuses to answer the phone and play receptionist again. Uh, mm-hmm. she, she, she needs to stand her ground and do her job, even if it's this made up job that she created for herself. She's been in that position now for what, a year, two years. So yeah. stick with it. And I'm glad she does. Andy, on the other hand, is super ridiculous. Uh, he, he can't help but interrupt the quiet at the beginning of the episode to comment on how quiet it is. Why not just let it go, Andy? <laughs> I, I sort of wondered why he feels so keen on this receptionist job do you have any thoughts like my my initial thought is because it's an easy job no offense to anybody who's held that position before but it's an easy job that doesn't demand as much as his regional manager job my thoughts were he's in the bullpen he's in front of everyone it's a social position He's answering phones, he's he's delivering mail, it's it's one-on-one a lot, and it's sort of the face of the company. As the regional manager, yes, I mean, he's even more so, I guess, the face of the company, but he's in his office, behind a door, talking to the same couple of people, perhaps, and I don't know, it's probably not as, it's not as fun I think it's just the, the social aspect of it. I think that's a good point, too. Uh, the, the singing, the mail... The mm-hmm. uh, arranging of things and multitasking, easy tasks. I, I think that definitely has something to do with it too, because aesthetic. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It, it is much more social. It, it allows him to to put on a show for people more acceptably than if he was doing the manager job. Right. But anyways, Daryl and Pam call him on it. I, I just sounded really texting Daryl. Uh, uh, Daryl. <laughs> Uh, the two of them <laughs> call him on it, and Daryl sort of uses a somewhat cruel story from his childhood as a metaphor to tell Andy, you know, you're going to like it now, but you're not going to like it tomorrow. And Andy's like, okay, fine. And he, he relents and he leaves reception. But at the end of the day, after everybody has left, he answers one last phone call. And the person on the line says, hey, where's, where's the girl who's normally at reception? Where's Aaron? He says, oh, well, she's on assignment in Florida. And the person on the phone says, oh, well, we'll pass on the message that she's missed. Aaron's missed and I miss her. And he says, you know what? I do too. And it's just a nice little moment. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. And he can miss Aaron without it meaning he misses her romantically. But it is nice that he, he takes the time to think, oh, I do miss Aaron, uh, especially considering the sort of the heartache that he's been putting her through uh, unintentionally recently. 
Another just couple of small moments for the episode. Stanley. So we we caught a glimpse of Florida Stanley last episode, but he is in full force this episode. He is in Florida. He is Florida Stanley. He's rented a red convertible. He's wearing Hawaiian shirts. He smokes cigars. He's drinking on the job. He's so happy. (laughs) He loves this. He spikes his own and Jim's drink with rum. And there's this talking head with Jim. He says, I spent so much of my life telling myself, please don't end up like Stanley. And now I'm wondering if I even have what it takes. <laughs> Stanley's just, he's a different level now. So yeah, he's a lot of fun. Jim likes hanging out with him. So they've sort of teamed up for this, this, uh, this episode. Uh, the only other sort of mild story thing, we, we'll, we can talk more about the cold open in general when we get to funny stuff. But well, I guess we could even use this to transition. In the cold open, Dwight is talking about how he's planning for the morning and he's kickstarting everybody early so they can be on time for what they have to do with Saber. Uh, and he's planning for all these things that he thinks is going to take a lot of time for Jim to style his hair for 50 minutes, to for, for Ryan to do his morning ecstasy. He thinks Ryan's still doing drugs. And that it takes 90 right. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> to account for the time for Aaron to get lost between her room and the lobby. And it seems like Dwight is stacking all this time end to end to end instead of just on top of each other, like how all of this would actually go. And so he's woken everybody up at what is what is the clock read five ten and he thinks that's twenty minutes Something late. Like I think that's right. Yeah. So absurdly early, and him having access to everyone's bedrooms is something I can almost guarantee wasn't sanctioned by the hotel staff, and especially not by the other Scranton people. He did some shady stuff to get everybody's spare card keys, I guess. And then some of the comedy from the cold open, as you said, he allotted a ridiculous amount of time for everyone to get ready. He enters people's rooms and yells, wake up, in their faces. So Kathy was easy to wake up. She screams, as is normal. (laughs) Erin was sleeping with her head at the foot of the bed because she fell asleep while reading the mattress tag. And then she joins Dwight on this wake-up parade. And uh, Stanley won't wake up until Dwight plugs his nose and mouth. (laughs) So that's not good. Ryan woke up to Erin hitting on him, and he was delighted until he saw Dwight in the cameras. Not sure what was going on there. Jim, however, is on a two-kid schedule, so he wakes up at 4.15 naturally. Uh, he's well awake by the time Dwight comes to, uh, to his door, so he planned to prank Dwight. Jim set up a scenario in his room that looked like a hostage or kidnapping scenario, and it includes a message on the door written in lipstick that read, It was Dwight. And then he falls out of the closet as a dead body, and, and Aaron and Dwight are just mortified that something happened, and he was... Uh, in with some bad apples, as Dwight puts it. Yeah, it also says on the door, find Luanda at the alcohol club. <laughs> the alcohol club. <laughs> That's too great. <laughs> Andy commenting on how quiet the office is. Then Creed speaks up and he says, oh, it's so peaceful. I've already written like 12 plays. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to read those. It's sort of like the whole creedthoughts.gov. Do we want to <laughs> expose the world to a play by Creed Bratton? Or 12 plays written in like two (laughs) hours. (laughs) Dwight has a talking head about Nellie. He says, I need to make Nellie see me as a leader today. First impressions get locked away forever. When I first met Pam, she said something that slightly rubbed me the wrong way. Since then, I've loved working with Pam and she's frankly wonderful. But I hate her. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like, that's the way it is. So that's actually, that's the way it is. And that's kind of, that's kind of good to know to get into his head that he loves Pam but he hates her. I mean, he he has to because that's that's where they started. Yeah, by by principle, I had an, a, a bad first impression, so I have to stick with it. 
Kelly is freaking out before they've before Andy has taken over receptionist duties. The phone is ringing. Pam's saying, "Well, I'm not going to answer it." And Andy says, "Well, I'm not going to answer it." And they go back and forth. And Kelly is like freaking out. Just somebody answer the phone. I know it's for me. <laughs> if it's for you, then go answer the phone. <laughs> like it, if that's really the issue at hand here, then then take charge, Kelly. You could do it. You, like she's literally the customer service rep. You talk with people <laughs> all the time. Another Dwight one. He's he's got a good couple of episodes here. He says when he's when he's feeling sick to his stomach, he's at the uh, counter at the hotel asking for a bottle of antacid. Oh, and if, if you have a souvenir for my son, I'd love any ideas, but his mother doesn't acknowledge my paternity. Do you have anything for that? Also, I wanted to have a Florida feel. <laughs> the saleswoman asks, well, what does your son like? Dwight says, power. <laughs> because, of course, he's a few weeks old. He loves power. Yeah. Stanley gives us a couple of mottos in this episode. The first is life is short, drive fast, leave a sexy corpse. And he says, that's one of my mottos. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then later he is pouring rum into his drink from the mini bar while at work. And Jim comments on it and he says, it's just rum. I'm not bored. I'm a pirate. Jim says, is that another motto? <laughs> Stanley says, it's whatever you want. And then he offers it to Jim and he says, oh, or do you only drink with your kids? <laughs> so Jim Jim imbibes as well. He he pours it into his soda or whatever he's drinking. It's Florida. Possibly one of my favorite lines, I don't know why, from the episode. Aaron asks if Dwight's feeling okay, and Dwight says, I'm fine, okay, it's just stress, you know, because I care about this project. And frankly, the fact that none of you are vomiting or diarrheal right now, I find very alarming. And Aaron kind of elbows him and winks and says, who says none of us are diarrheal? <laughs> as a comforting gesture <laughs> a comforting gesture just like uh don't assume what's in my pants like it's really weird like no <laughs> <ugh>. <laughs> uh, I, I love watching the monumental effort it takes dwight to pull down the projector screen like he reaches up uh, reach up again he's so windy uh, and then he just like this monumental like shriek as he reaches up and finally pulls it down uh, and then he just calmly sits back down in his seat. Success. He did it. He says later, uh, as he's being carted off in the, uh, to the ambulance, he says, uh, remember me as the man who pulled down the screen. <laughs> Don't remember me as I am now. I feel like all of mine are Dwight's, but he's got such a good episode. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep going. Dwight, uh, as he's being wheeled off on the gurney, calls Philip, who, I mean, who can't answer the phone. Again, he's a couple weeks old, but he leaves him a message. He says, Philip, if you're hearing this memo, that can only mean one thing. I'm dead. You are the rightful heir to Shroot Farms. Please, you must do one thing. Kill Mose before he kills you. And then he presses a button and I guess it's a it's a memo, not a phone call, but whatever. And he leaves another memo. Mose. Hey, it's Dwight. Listen, yeah, I just want to give you a heads up. <laughs> That's all we hear, but uh it sounds like there's going to be some sort of war between Mose and uh and little Philip at some point. How noble of Dwight to give Mose some advance notice. By the way, I told him to do it, but my son's going to try to kill you. <laughs> Andy, part of his receptionist duties, as he sees it, is to provide snacks for everybody. And so he makes uh, like pizza bagels, mini pizzas, uh, because they can't say pizza bagels for copyright reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> hmm. And so uh, Pam says, whoa, are those mini pizzas? And Andy's like, yeah, yeah, I figured we'd keep things savory, uh, blah, blah. Kevin comes up and he says, look at these little mini pizzas. And he picks one up. And he says, does this make me look huge? And he laughs. He turns around because, hey, guys, look at me. I'm huge. 
I love that no one says anything. Yeah, I, I'm I glad they don't. That. But I mean, Kevin. Like you're asking mm, for it. <laughs> yeah. You're lucky that you work with nice people, at least mostly yeah. nice people. Any other day they might say something, but they're feeling nice today. Right. There's a Dwight talking head towards the end of the episode. He says, I had two goals today. The first was to make myself the clear candidate for vice president. I achieved that, no thanks to my appendix. The second was to find a memorable souvenir for Philip. For that, I do have to thank my appendix. And he holds up his appendix, which apparently he got to take home with him. But if, in fact, Philip is his son, I think he might appreciate the appendix. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that might be evidence of true paternity. One of my favorite moments in the sequence of episodes is when Nellie brings in Wally Amos of Famous Amos Cookies. And yes, it is really Wally mm -hmm. Amos uh, to give a speech about starting business and doing business things and all that kind of stuff. Business, 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 business. <laughs> but he's interrupted by Stanley and Stanley says, hey, what's under the cloth on the cart that you've brought in with you? And he says, we'll get to that. Packer says, bet you anything is cookies. Amos says, it's cookies. Let, let me finish my speech first. <laughs> and then Nellie speaks up and says, oh, we get the gist. It's just success and effort, isn't it? So just don't be coy. Make with the cookies. <laughs> so even the person in charge is like, shut up. I only brought you here because you're bringing us cookies. I don't really care what you have to say. And so everyone charges the cookies. And while everybody's going for the cookies, Aaron comes up and says, famous. Hi. I love that she addresses him by famous. Like that's his first name. <laughs> famous. Hi. I'm sure you get ideas for new cookies all the time, but I, and he interrupts her and he says, is it oatmeal with no raisins? And she just says, I'm sorry to have wasted your time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's such a, a funny little exchange between the two of them. I love that Erin is never sarcastic. She's never, well, I, I can't say never, but she's so rarely sarcastic. When you're reading the script and, and you see, oh, I'm so sorry to have wasted your time after that, my instinct would to be like, oh, I'm so sorry to have wasted your time. But Erin is just so sincere. I'm very sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that everybody recommends this. <laughs> right. We have quite a few deleted scenes. Holy moly. So let's get started on that. When Jim's trying to pick out a souvenir for his kids, Aaron asks if he's got a puppet or a stuffed animal in his hands. And when he tells her that it's a stuffed animal, she's pleased. She says, I don't know why anyone makes stuffed animals. Puppets are stuffed animals that actually do something. Name one thing that a stuffed animal can do that a puppet can't. Jim says, make you weirdly angry. Aaron says, touche, Jim. But seriously, the answer is nothing. <laughs> and then when Jim tells Kathy that he feels weird being away from his kids, which is a little bit that we saw in the episode, Stanley suggests that the weirdness is called happiness. <laughs> Jim reminds Stanley that he likes his family, and Stanley says that his daughters are his life, but it's summer and the hotel has free breakfast. He says that if his daughters were here instead of him, he'd want them eating omelets in their bikinis. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah, that's Jim so makes weird. a weird face. Cool. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> you want your daughters in their bikinis? Okay. <laughs> There's this whole continuing storyline, and I, I guess it would make sense to just go ahead and address the whole thing. It answers some questions we had about Andy in this episode, too. Kelly confronts Andy about a raise that she was promised. Andy says, look, I didn't promise you a raise, and I know Michael didn't either. And that's a rare Michael reference in these later two seasons. I know hearing his name was <clears throat> like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Back. <laughs> and then creed who's walking along with kelly says well i did when i was manager <laughs> and he says and i promised myself a raise too and he says i even have a contract that is airtight hidden where no human can access it 
And Andy says, oh, well, we certainly need to honor that. And he's being super sarcastic. And he says, listen, nobody is getting raises because we don't have the money for it. And then Phyllis, bless her, speaks up and says, what, are you taking my raise back? And he says, I, I can't believe you just mentioned that. And he says, we don't talk about money in public because it's tacky. And at this point, the phone is ringing again. And Pam tells Andy, hey, we really need a receptionist. She has a talking head at this point where she says, you know, I just got back from my maternity leave. I can't let them make me the receptionist again. I've worked way too hard for too long to get to this place of them thinking I'm the office administrator. <laughs> Creed says he needs a raise because he's worked here for 45 years. Since back when we sold rugs, we were called a rug king. We had offices all across town. Nope, that's not the way this worked, Creed. It's called Dunder Mifflin because it was named after two men named Dunder and Mifflin. And that's the way it's always been. <laughs> and at this point, Andy says, you should take that up with the manager because today I am the receptionist. And so that's when he sits down at the desk and he answers the phone again, pretty clumsily. He, he hasn't gotten the knack for it yet. And he has one talking head and then I'll let you take over the storyline. He, he says, Kelly and Creed are all over me. So I'm heading out as receptionist, kind of like when the mob is after you and you have to dress like a woman for a couple of weeks. Only in that scenario, you get a cool job as a lounge singer and your roommate is a total hottie who changes in front of you all the time. And in this scenario, you just have to like answer phones. <laughs> the same. So then again, at the desk, Kelly and Creed approach Andy, who's sitting at reception. Andy suggests they talk to the manager because he's the receptionist. Creed says, okay, sweetie. <laughs> because I guess he's used to being patronizing to receptionists. It's just habit. Kelly doesn't fall for it, though, and Andy has a talking head. He says, managers increase profits, receptionists increase smiles. Managers put out fires, receptionists put out candies. He says, I wrote that with Bill, the receptionist at DLP Hardware. Awesome dude. I just wish he knew it. <laughs> and then Andy finally sits down with Creed and Kelly and tells them that he's sorry, but Phyllis is getting a raise and they are not. Kelly says that that's unacceptable and that he's the worst person in the world and he asks if he's worse than bernie madoff creed argues that bernie madoff is a saint every year creed gets 10 percent returns he says it's been a little slow the last couple of years but it's <laughs> long term on things like this andy asks if creed knows what happens like wait you you know what he did and creed says i i don't want you changing the subject and kelly says that she's mad at him she's not his friend and though she will be coming back to work tomorrow she won't talk to him all day Creed says the same, but also, I do have an escape plan, and when Bernie gives the okay, I'll be out of here. <laughs> so, they're not too happy with Andy, but uh, Phyllis is getting a raise, which is interesting to know. And for those who don't know, Bernie Madoff is uh, the guy who operated the largest Ponzi scheme in the world, and he was convicted of that in 2009. So, when Creed says, it's been a little slow these last couple of years, it's because he's been in prison, and there haven't been no returns because that's done. Right. Now, back to the other deleted scenes, we get more of Ryan's photo shoot with Aaron that we, we, we got one snippet of it at the beginning of the episode where before they leave for the meeting, uh, Ryan's like, oh, and this one is, huh, don't see too many museums around here. And Aaron's taking his picture as he poses. And so we get more of that. He says, okay, so the idea here is that I'm having a very private moment. You took this without my permission and somehow it wound up on Facebook. And he sort of serenely poses in front of like a hedge dolphin kind of thing. And so he goes over to another spot and he says, okay, this one is really Florida, a little obvious, huh? That's the caption. And so she takes his picture and go, she goes, unbelievable. I nailed it. <laughs> like I am, I'm a genius <laughs> photographer. I did it. 
A very short one here. Jim, concerned about Dwight feeling sick, tells him that he looks awful. And Dwight says, it's called being handsome. Look it up. (laughs) And then Dwight has a talking head with possible options as to what this is. He says, A, this isn't appendicitis. B, this is appendicitis and my life would be saved by swift medical attention. Or C, my appendix has already been ruptured. It's too late and I'm moments away from death. As long as it's A or C, staying is the right call. (laughs) That's a big risk. (laughs) I guess I get where he's coming from, but no. (laughs) Uh, Aaron is talking with another woman who she has told that she's staying in Florida for good. Uh, Over these couple of episodes, Aaron tells a lot of people. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But she's talking with this person and Aaron says, you know, I've never lived in a state capital before and it seems super exciting. And the woman says, well, Tallahassee is glad to have you. And, you know, what are your main priorities in a place? Are you looking for a cheap rent, an artsy neighborhood, a big yard? Aaron says, well, I guess I would like to be close enough to a zoo that I can stand on my roof and throw a banana and watch a monkey catch it in its mouth. And the woman's just like flabbergasted, like, what? What a weird high bar. (laughs) That's all of that. (laughs) And I think the last deleted scene, Stanley, who has been pouring rum into his drinks and into Jim's drinks, replaces the bottle of rum with iced tea, which he plans to return to the minibar. And Jim whispers that he's a genius. And then there's a Jim talking head. He said, Stanley's kind of amazing. He just does not care. On the drive-in today, we were coming up to a red light, and he just said, oops, and drove right through it. <laughs> so Stanley is, uh, again, in fine form in Florida. He, we've never seen him so happy, except maybe on pretzel day. Uh, yeah, of course. And uh, when, when he poured the tea into the rum bottle, he says, hey, Jim, you want to see a magic trick? I'm going to turn this iced tea into rum. And he goes, abracadabra, bibbidi bop as he's pouring it in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, what's our discussion topic? So I'm not sure how Nellie has this job. Why is this just now coming into fruition as John, as Joe is no longer CEO? So it says that Nellie came up with the idea for the Sabre brick and mortar store, but that was a while ago. And this is just now, or Joe left a while ago, and this is just now becoming a thing. They're just now moving on this project. How do you think Nellie is employed? Um, I think that maybe she's just been sort of hovering around. Maybe this has been something that they've put a lot of background work into before they finally assembled a team to enact it, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because uh, I mean, again, alluding to these next couple of episodes that we'll talk about in episode 91 of our podcast, uh, there's already a store that exists. They're just figuring out how to outfit it and design it and, and present it. So maybe it's just it's taken some time to put in the behind the scenes legwork and now they've assembled the team to actually make it a reality. And so Nellie's been employed at Sabre since probably right before Joe left and Robert took over as CEO. And so she's just sort of stuck around. Yeah. That's sort of what I was thinking too. Maybe when she was applying for Andy's current job for the manager of Den Mifflin Scranton and and she wasn't given that job, maybe Joe found a, a place for her elsewhere. And it's just such a small window of time between when that might have happened and when Joe left that she must have come up with the Sabre store idea in that time. But it's just, I don't know, the, that struck me that, wait, how is Nellie here? But we don't have an answer for that. So, uh, yeah, be curious to, uh, to know what you guys might think. Yeah, because we have that weird time jump between season seven and season eight where we don't really 
have a whole lot of context for how much time has passed. It, it, it's hard to yeah. exactly nail it down. But anyways, let's go on to our next episode. It is titled After Hours. It aired on February 23rd of 2012. It was directed by Brian Baumgartner, uh, Kevin, and it was written by Halstead Sullivan and Warren Lieberstein. In Tallahassee, Nellie has two men vying for her affections and for a promotion. Jim struggles with an uncomfortable situation with a co-worker, and Ryan pursues a new romantic interest. In Scranton, Daryl meets Val's boyfriend Brandon, and things get very awkward and very public. Okay, starting off with the, the biggest chunk of the episode, which is Dwight and Packer vying for, not only vying for the VP position anymore, but it is turned into vying for Nellie herself. And they have this idea between them that whoever can bed Nellie this night is going to get the VP job. And so it's all about like flirting and trying to win her over in weird ways. And here is where Packer, I mentioned this in the last episode, sort of has the advantage because he does have those face-to-face people skills, whereas most of Dwight's work is done over the phone. Not to say he can't make a sale face-to-face, but here he just doesn't have the same people skills, especially with the woman that, that Packer seems to have. And so they're going back and forth. Dwight is trying and failing to win Nellie over Packer. And then later, when Dwight is helping Jim with something that we'll talk about in a moment, Jim, or he tells Jim, uh, Packer is trying to bed Nellie for the VP job unless I do it first. And I'm really glad that Jim speaks up and he says, is that really how you want to get this job? Like, I don't think Jim has any necessary personal investment in Dwight, at least in, in this situation. But he's like, really? Is this, do you really want to sleep your way to the top, basically? That, that's not the kind of person I pegged you to be, and I'm glad Jim calls him on it. So then Dwight has to leave, and he puts Gabe in charge of making sure that Nellie and Packer don't sleep together. And Gabe, who doesn't really care for Dwight at all, questions him, why would I want to do this for you? And, and Dwight makes a good point. He says, do you really want Packer as your boss? <laughs> uh, no, Gabe would rather even Dwight than, than Packer. So Gabe put something in Packer's drink that makes him sick and ruins his chances. And now Dwight has his shot with Nellie. They bond. She invites herself to his room. Meet me in seven minutes for some one-on-one time. But instead, when he goes to write his room number on his keycard, he scratches the magnetic strip so that Nellie can't get into his room. And I think the idea of getting the job by sleeping with his boss finally hit him and he was unable to, uh, to do that. He has this talking head where he says, he, he talks about how he was raised with the tenets of when at all costs, don't respect women. But he's really not feeling the whole bed the woman, get the job vibe. And so he does uh, sabotage the key card. And I'm, I'm glad that he does come around. And uh, I have to imagine that that sort of echoes what, what Jim said earlier, echoes in the back of his head. And he's sort of considering it for himself. And I, maybe even... Dwight wants to have the connection with somebody to sleep with someone. I mean, think about the last person, at least we know of, that he had sex with. It was Angela. And we know there's a connection there, or at least there was. And so maybe maybe Dwight's just like, you know, this, this isn't exactly how I want to accomplish this. Now, the other major story point, or one of two other major story points in this episode, it's a beefy episode, everybody. Kathy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it, 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 the the we've, we've been hinting at this ever since pool party 
and Kathy is ready to come on to Jim in a big way. When Jim hears Packer and Dwight making like ocean sounds in Nellie's ear, he's like, yeah, that's enough for me tonight. I'm going to go to bed. So he goes back to his bedroom and no, Kathy doesn't automatically follow him. She decides to go back to her room, strip down to basically sleep clothes and then go to Jim's room. And she makes up this story about, oh, the, the heat's messed up in my room. Maintenance is working on it. Can I stay in here with you? And it's really, really transparent flirting. She's giggly. She's trying to show off her backside. She bends over at the mini at the mini bar and bless Jim. He, he looks away. And Stanley walks in at one point. Jim has distanced himself as far from Kathy as he possibly can. She's against the headboard and he's like sitting at the foot of the bed on the floor. And... Stanley walks in and gets the rum from Jim's mini bar because he's run out at his own. And he sees Kathy and he sort of chuckles. And he tells Jim, careful, it gets easier and easier. Stanley's clearly making some assumptions that Jim doesn't want him to make because clearly they're not true. I, I kind of disagree with you there. I think Stanley was warning him like, hey, don't hang out with attractive women one-on-one because it'll be easier and easier to cheat. I think he knows Jim wasn't trying to, but he was just kind of laughing like, oh, you better be careful because the longer you're married, the longer, you know, the, the, the easier it's going to be for you to cheat. Something like that. I, I, I don't know. But Jim is obviously so uncomfortable with this whole situation. As you said, she's sitting in the bed. He's on the floor. He's avoiding eye contact. She's applying lotion to her legs on his bed. And when Stanley knocks at the door, he runs to get it. I mean, he wants anyone in the room with them. Please come in. Please watch the game. Just stay here. And uh, so finally, Jim calls Dwight. And tells him that he's found a bed bug in his room. So Dwight rushes there in the middle of his whole Nellie thing. And he says in Talking Head that he's worried about them coming back to Shroot Farms. He says that their biggest attraction is their 200-year-old mattresses. So Dwight goes there and starts upturning the mattresses, totally ruining the romantic mood that Kathy was trying to set. Exactly what Jim wants. And Kathy says that this whole bed bug thing makes her feel gross and she wants to take a shower. And Jim's pleased. Yay, go back to your room. Take a shower. But she gets in the shower in Jim's room. <sighs> Even in this quote-unquote crisis with the bedbugs, she's still hitting on him. And it's not even hitting on him. It's being, like, way past the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, flirting is one thing. She's naked in his hotel room. Yeah, this is arguably worse than it was uh, just a moment ago when she was sitting on his bed. She is naked yeah. in his hotel room. Yeah. Um, bad. Yeah, really bad. Now. Jim finally confronts Kathy after she has come out of her shower and she's only wearing her underwear and a robe and she's sitting on his bed and it's really uncomfortable. He says, listen, I am happily married. And then she turns it against him and says, how little do you think of me? Like she tries to make him feel like a bad person in this situation. She says, I know you're married. I sat at your wife's desk. And so Jim's like, okay, I'm sorry. I guess I just misread the situation. We'll just keep watching the game. She says, and maybe you can do it without running across the bedroom, too, or sitting on the opposite side of the bedroom. So he sits on the bed, and she does, too, right up next to him, like right cuddling next to him. him. Cud- yeah, yeah, cuddling. It, it, that's exactly what it is. And eventually, at some point, Jim gets up again, and he calls Dwight back, although we don't know this yet. He's coming back toward the bed, I guess, from the restroom. And at this point, Kathy has derobed, is only in her underwear, and is in the bed under the bed sheets. And he says, okay, enough is enough. You need to get out of my room. You need to go. Well, 
Dwight comes to the rescue. <laughs> Apparently Jim's like, oh, I-, I found it for real this time. There's the bed bug. And so Dwight has grabbed chemicals off the maid's cart in the, the hallway and just goes to town spraying the bed. And Kathy says it burns their chemicals. And then after she has stood up and she's covering herself with the bed sheets, Jim points at her again. And, oh, I see it over here. <laughs> so he's basically sicking Dwight on Kathy and she does run out of the bedroom. She's gone. And good for Jim. He, he has successfully navigated this situation, which was just incredibly awkward and not something he should have gone through because Kathy just went way over the line. The thing that makes me the most angry about that whole thing is when she she's clearly doing this. And then she turns it against him and says, you're crazy. You know, you're you're putting this on me when in fact, no, uh, the audience and Jim. Well, not even Jim. He he, he has to question it. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the audience knows what Kathy's doing and she turns him into the exaggerator. Mm-hmm. And it's just uh, mm. <laughs> so we don't like Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we're pretty much done with it. I think I think Jim pretty well put a cap on that in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And then the final storyline for this episode is Daryl. So the office in Scranton is having a late night meeting and Val's boyfriend brings Jamaican food in for everyone. And Daryl introduces himself, polite enough, and Brandon does not take it well. He asks how Daryl's doing. Daryl says, I'm good. Brandon, in front of everyone, says, I bet you're good because you're sleeping with my girlfriend. Except he doesn't say sleeping with. He, he curses and it just heightens the anger in the room. He says he knows this because he read the text that Daryl sent Val at midnight one night. Kelly, who was dying of boredom moments before, is now extremely interested and, and demands that Daryl read the text. And he sent a few. Most were innocent-ish. But one said, you're such a great friend, dot, 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 dot. Mm. As Kelly says, three dots means to be continued. Four dots is a typo. Five dots means do not make me say what I want to say, baby. But if it did, it would blow your mind, dot, 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 dot. (laughs) So it's the general consensus that Daryl was flirting at midnight via text. But at this point, Val's like, whatever. Daryl and I together would be crazy. And Daryl's like, yeah, yeah, crazy. I'm I'm being put in an insane asylum just thinking about it. Like trying to pass it off. Like, yeah, that, that is crazy. That would never happen. I don't know what you're talking about. He sort of sulks in his office afterwards. He, he he goes off by himself, and Pam and Andy realize what's going on, and they go and so they sort of comfort him. They say, "Hey, are you okay?" And Andy uh, gives him advice, and Jim or Pam tries to give advice too, and they're both trying to give advice from the perspective of Jim, which is kind of strange. Andy says, "I think you should just wait and see what happens. Like follow through or, or wait, and this this will pass." And Pam says, you know what? I think you should actually put yourself out there. My husband would would advise you to put himself out there. That's why we're together is because he put himself out there. He does decide to go with Pam's advice. And when Val apologizes later in the episode, she says, I'm sorry this happened. Let's forget it happened. Let's not ever talk about it again. He says, sure. But you and me, I don't think that's ridiculous. Dot, 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 dot. And he leaves without saying another word, without waiting for her response, and she just sort of sits there in a a stunned silence, like, oh, well, that's not something I had considered yet, which maybe she was a little bit ignorant (laughs) as far as that goes. I think Daryl hasn't been, like, overly subtle. Well, they they had that whole, yeah, my mom's name is Brandon Mm -hmm. thing a few episodes ago. I think she's thought about it, Mm -hmm. but they haven't talked about it. I don't know. Daryl seems to be a possibility in her mind now. We just have to wait and see what happens. So some funny moments. The cold open, 
Pam shows Angela a photo of her baby Philip wearing the booties that Angela got him, and Oscar overhears, and asks if they want to see a picture of Gerald, his dog, wearing galoshes. So Angela and Pam have a talking head right after that, where they roll their eyes and they talk about how Oscar thinks his dog is his child, and Angela says that unless you carried the child in your body for nine months, they're not your child. Pam says, oh, well, you could have adopted. Angela disagrees. Oscar asks Pam and Angela if their sons are crawling yet, and Pam laughs and reminds him that three-month-olds don't crawl. Angela says that her Philip is crawling. So then Pam and Oscar have a talking head about how Angela is such a liar, there's no way your three-month-old baby is crawling. And then Pam discusses with Oscar and Angela that having two kids is so much more tiring than having one kid or a dog. There's two sleep cycles, two nap schedules that don't coincide. You'll never sleep again. Then Angela and Oscar have a talking head about Pam, so they're all they're all bashing the the other one. It's a petty party. Yeah, it's a petty party. <laughs> they talk about how Pam chose to have two kids, so she should stop complaining, and she just had to have them because the world needs more Jim and Pam DNA. And then Andy enters the room where uh, Pam, Angela, and Oscar are eating lunch, and laughs because his brother just got a new boat, and he says he has no idea what he's getting into. There's nothing harder than taking care of a boat, am I right? And then there's a talking head with Angela, Pam, and Oscar all together. Just unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> because, of course, a boat is nothing like a, a human or, or even a dog life. <laughs> Dwight is asking for Nellie to give some information about who the new VP is. Uh, she says, well, I'm not ready to answer that question yet. We're not, we're not, we're not doing that. Dwight says, well, I wasn't going to ask that. Gosh, you jumped to conclusions. Come on. I know you've got so much on your plate right now. You're like, oh, what's more important? Dwight's question, figure out who's the VP. Dwight VP, Dwight VP, Dwight VP, Dwight VP. She says, I can't be hypnotized, Dwight. I tried it. I ended up smoking more. (laughs) And then it goes on from there. Dwight says, can we at least eliminate those who are not in the running? Free them up to focus more completely on the menial, like stacking or sorting or... Jim says, catching butterflies. <laughs> Dwight, that's a hobby, unless it's for food. Food, butterflies, okay, whatever. Jim, theater. Dwight, waste of time. Dragging. That's just a verb. Dragging sticks. Yes, nice, perfect. Dragging sticks. <laughs> and so then she, she <laughs> eliminates a few people from, from the running, but it's just this funny back and forth. First off, uh, Dwight trying to word associate himself into Nellie's mind and then Jim just messing with Dwight in the middle of this meeting. Dwight has a talking head about Nellie. He says, English people's main use today is judging American talent. He says, you're crap. You're wonderful. I mean, they're mean, but incisive. And of course, he's in his horrible English accent and mine uh, doing uh, like a Simon Cowell, you know, talent show Mm -hmm. judge situation. But uh in this case, it is also true that Nellie is uh, judging them in that same way and, and deciding. Uh, Nellie has asked everybody to go to the bar that night. Kathy says, oh, we're going to have one of those crazy nights, aren't we? Maybe we'll see the real Talanasty we've been hearing so much about. Jim says, Talanasty, very clever. Kathy says, thank you. And then Gabe interrupts. Yes, he's there. He interrupts and he says, wait, wait, you think she invented Talanasty? And he like chuckles and no, 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 no. It's like, okay, Gabe, just... <laughs> Stop. You're being obnoxious. As always. Yeah. And I hate to give another Kathy one, but this was actually pretty funny. There was a drinking game afoot. Dwight has a uh, a drinking game that he apparently played, possibly growing up or something, 
He says, okay, everyone, empty your pockets. Whoever has the most seeds is the king, and whoever has the least buttons is the hunchback. Yes, absolutely want to play that. <laughs> Gabe asks, well, what happens if you're the hunchback? Dwight says, oh, you get kicked. Jim says, well, how many buttons do you have? And Dwight pulls out a bag of buttons. He says, 40, always. Kathy says, oh, can I see them? And Dwight hands them to her. She now has 40 buttons. <laughs> Kathy says, well, I get to kick you now. Dwight says, no, they're not transferable just because I handed them to you. Kathy says, well, that's how I played it in college. <laughs> and uh, Jim says, college rules. And kicks, kicks Dwight. Um, clever. But we're done with Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I want to point out in that same scene at the very beginning of it, Todd Packer says maybe the only thing I'll ever agree with Todd Packer on, where he says Jason Bourne would kick Bond's ass. <laughs> I'm like, yes, he would probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan and Aaron are sitting together at the restaurant, and this is sort of a character uh, moment kind mm-hmm. of thing, but it's it's funny too. So whatever. Ryan orders Chardonnay. He wants their oakiest Chardonnay. And Aaron says, I will have a waffle with your mapleiest syrup. And the witch is like, uh, you're weird. We don't have waffles here. And she just says, fine, I don't, I don't, I don't want it. Forget it then. Just forget it. Forget it. Ryan says, a, a waffle? Aaron says, a hotel waffle. I know what I want to eat. Is that crazy? <laughs> and then this is when she reveals to, to Ryan that she is moving down here and she's going to stay here. And uh, Ryan thinks, oh, well, why would Aaron confide in me that she's staying here in Florida if she didn't want me to make some last-ditch, nothing-to-lose Kelly Cahoo run at her? And so he says, come with me. We're going to get you that waffle. So they sneak off somewhere. And uh, yeah, we'll, we, we can talk more about that as we progress through the funny moments. But Ryan and Aaron are maybe a thing that's sort of happening. And then in this uh, next funny moment, actually, with, with Ryan, they uh, have gotten to the kitchen where they're going to find Aaron a waffle or a waffle maker, which they do end up doing, by the way. Aaron says, whoa, the lights are still on in the kitchen. Ryan says, yeah, they keep them on because it's less expensive than turning them on and off. Aaron says, I like how guys just know stuff all the time. Ryan says, girls know a lot of stuff too, okay? And nobody knows more than you, especially me. And he just glares at the camera like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm lying like <laughs> The this. things I am saying to get this woman. <laughs> <laughs> the lies you tell for for women. Well, I guess we can go ahead and finish the Kelly and Ryan, or the Aaron and Ryan stuff. A couple scenes later, they are preparing to make this waffle for her, and people start coming in, and so they hide under the table. And she's trying to talk to him or something, and he says, "Shh, do you want to get scolded? Shut your beautiful, beautiful mouth, please." And then later, he does say something nice to her. He says, you know, I'm really impressed by how much you've grown since I first met you. It's like night and day. And I mean, we agree. We've talked about it. Not sure how honest he was being in the moment. But I mean, it is a sweet thing to say, even if it's for other purposes. And she says, you know, you should stay down here with me. We could be roommates. We could go to R-rated movies. And who knows? I'm a woman. You're a man. Maybe in six months, something could happen. Well, Ryan's not ready to wait six months for things to happen with her. So he reluctantly says, oh, I'm in love with Kelly. And that's that's the end of their fun night together. They just sort of sit there awkwardly in the silence. I actually read that a little bit differently. The I'm in love with Kelly. I, I didn't see it as reluctance as much as it was like, oh, my God, six months. No, no, no. I'm in love with Kelly. Like, nope, I'm cutting this off. Like, Kelly is his fallback. Like, if you would wait six months, no, I have somebody now. I'm good. I'm in love with Kelly. Yeah. 
Like, <laughs> nope, I don't need this. The whole description of the bed bug is excellent between Dwight and <laughs> yes, Jim. Yes, it is. Dwight wants, wants Jim to describe the bed bug. Jim says, brown, shiny, painful bite. Dwight says, it could be a bat weevil. Describe its mood. Did it seem sleepy? Jim said, stressed, but to be fair, it was a tense situation. Dwight says, fair enough, but after it bit you, did it run away fearful or did it walk away smug, self-assured? Jim said, so smug, like he thought he was funny, like this, and he just sort of marches. And uh, Dwight says, that's a bed bug. Everything's a joke. (laughs) 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 Yup. So smug. When Brandon shows up with the food, he's he's catering their uh, meeting, their, their extended work hours. And he's brought in Jamaican food. That's the kind of business he has. And Oscar says, Jamaican, huh? I just, I just read about the elections down there. Crazy stuff. And Brandon's just like, oh, I'm not from Jamaica. Uh, he says, oh, I'm not actually Jamaican. And Oscar just says, oh, terrific. And it's, it's funny how Oscar is like trying to have this genuine conversation with the guy. And, oh, you're not actually Jamaican. You're, you're a fake. You're a fraud, basically. He's like, oh, well, hmm. It's like he judges him a lot in that moment. I th- think it's funny. And it was like... The smug gay Mexican. Right. And it was like he... Oscar just loves to know things, and his need to know about things prevails even when they're not relevant. And I love the way he says, terrific. It's just like, oh, shut up, Oscar, you're doing it again. Like, terrific. Like, I can't even talk about this with you. Terrific. (laughs) I think it's hysterical when Packer is showing off by tying a knot in a cherry stem with his tongue. And so Nellie's really impressed. And Dwight says, oh, please, anyone can tie a knot. The, the real skill is in untying it. And so he puts the stem that was just in Packer's mouth into his mouth. And everybody's just like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, they just give him a weird look. And one last thing. When they have gotten rid of Kathy with the whole fake bed bugs and everything, uh, first off, Dwight says, I think you should bunk with Kathy. This room's a biohazard. Jim's like, no, that's exactly what I was trying to not do. And so they end up staying in the same room together uh, in Dwight's room. And they're enjoying the desserts that Kathy had ordered for them anyways. And when Nellie comes and Dwight doesn't answer the door, it looks to me like Dwight and Jim share a sort of look with each other. Uh, it, it's a subtle look, but to me, Jim's face seems to say, be like a sort of, oh, I'm, I'm sort of proud of you for not going through with this kind of thing. And Dwight is just giving a light smile back. It, it's, a, it's a nice moment between the two of them where they're, they're sort of just commending each other, I think, or thanking each other somehow. It, it's, it's subtle, but I really like it. Yeah, I did too. And, uh, and it was funny because Nellie's knocking on his door and the light's on, which could be fine. You know, Dwight might still be out. She doesn't know that he's sort of sabotaged their hookup. And she says, Dwight, are you in there? I, I see the light on. I don't know. Are you in there? And then he turns the light off. <laughs> So yes, he is in there. And well, I just saw the light go off. What? Dwight? <laughs> and they just continue eating their bananas foster in silence, uh, mm-hmm. watching TV and ignoring Nellie. And it's funny that she doesn't, she, she's more confused than anything. Cause I think she's just had a few too many drinks. Yeah. She, she doesn't seem angry about it. So moving on to deleted scenes, Andy comes up with some surprises to make the night more bearable. He says, bearable. Bear, as in berries, as in blueberry pie. But no one's impressed. He calls on Kevin. You've got to be into this, right? But Kevin gets mad. He says, you just couldn't help yourself, could you? Picking on the big guy. Well, I'm going to eat it, Andy, and I'm going to eat a lot of it, but I don't want it. And then (laughs) Kelly says that surprise number two had better be that they can all go home. But it's not. 
It's rhubarb pie. There's more of Packer and Dwight with Nellie at the bar. In fact, a continuation of the the last one I mentioned, uh, Dwight pulls out the now untied cherry stem. And Packer says, the only cherry Dwight has been around is his own. Nellie says, ooh, innuendo. And Dwight says, in your innuendo. Nellie says, oh, don't go too far. The game is to straddle the line, but not to cross it. Packer says, I'll straddle it. Dwight says, I'll have sex with it. <laughs> Nellie says, in my opinion, it's that if you, if you say sex, then that's cheating. Also known as sexual, sexology, sexologist. And Packer immediately says something gross using the word sexologist. And Nellie thinks he's clever, a genius for breaking the rules as soon as he hears them. So just what Dwight sort of was getting chastised for, breaking the rules, she lauds Packer for doing the same thing. And so Dwight just sort of angrily, angrily drinks his beer in the background. And he tries to make the meeting more fun again by asking Meredith if she could have any balloon animal that's either a dog or a snake, what it would be. And he pulls out a balloon and a pump, and that's it. That was a very small deleted scene, but he's trying. On the way to Jim's room the first time, Dwight is sort of pondering things to himself to the camera in the elevator. He says, let me ask myself this. If sleeping with Nellie is so important, why am I letting some bed bugs get in the way? It doesn't make any sense, yet here I go. How about this? I find several things equally important. No, that's just not me. Well, I've come this far. I'll process this later. <laughs> it's like he's monologuing to himself and saying his thought process out loud to the camera as he goes to Jim's room. Dwight asks Nellie to tell him something she's never told anyone else before, and she tells him that she's here illegally. However, Dwight seems genuinely concerned and interested in that, so she says, oh, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, and she takes a big drink. <laughs> and uh, she says, I had my wisdom teeth out when I was eight. Dwight says, wow, that is embarrassing. I can see why you'd never tell anyone that. <laughs> and now it's Dwight's turn, and he has retained all of his teeth, including the baby teeth. Nellie comments that they're opposites. The city girl and the farmer. The man and the woman. The Brit and the Yank. The penis and the anti-penis. Nellie tells him that he's bad, like Russell Brand. And Dwight agrees. I don't think that there's anyone le less like Russell Brand than Dwight. But he doesn't know who that is, so... <laughs> yeah. yeah, he makes a face of the camera. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, oh. <laughs> Dwight has a talking head. He says, what? I'd be trying to bed Nellie even if she wasn't my boss. Even if she was my secretary. Totally dependent on me for her job, terrified of being fired. So I'm completely in the right here. Not exactly. I don't think that's how it works. When Andy and Pam are advising Daryl on what to do about the whole Val Brandon thing, Pam insists that they call Jim to see what he'd say, but Kathy answers. Ugh. It's, it's late. Pam is at first pretty hesitant, asking what he and Kathy are up to alone. Kelly yells and runs into Daryl's office. Jim, don't do it! Or do do it. Whatever it is, this is awesome. And uh, Pam asks if Einstein is with him. Then there's a Pam talking head. She says, Einstein is the name we came up with if we were ever in a home invasion situation. She says, when you have kids, you think of this stuff. And then I quite like this. Pam catches on. Jim, of course, is sitting there with Kathy talking on the phone, so he can't talk out loud about what's going on. But she catches on. Pam does. And starts telling Jim about how pathetic it is that Kathy's still there. Pam is not at all jealous. She's kind of even joking about it. She says, have fun with that, and you're really cute when you're embarrassed and stuff like that. <laughs> Yet she's not at all phased by the fact. Sh she knows that Jim is uncomfortable with this and that he won't do anything. And uh, I, I quite liked that, that scene, that they included that. 
Right. And after they hang up, Kathy says, it's nice to hear Pam's voice. Grantonville's like a million miles away. Jim doesn't respond, but he smiles. It's it's like a look that says, I'm glad I have a wife who trusts me in this kind of situation. Right. Uh, as awkward as it is for him in the moment, he knows that he doesn't have to worry about Pam finding out because nothing is going to happen. Right. Now, the last deleted scene is between uh, Ryan and Aaron. They're crawling away in the kitchen. They're trying to escape. And Aaron looks up and she she tells Ryan to go without her. Go on without me. <laughs> and he calls her crazy. And we see her reach up and grab the waffle maker. <laughs> and she takes it with her as she exits. And so the next shot is her eating a waffle with the waffle maker set up behind her in hotel, her hotel room. She says, you're going to be okay, kid. You're going to be okay. That's just me talking to me. <laughs> you are going to be okay. Be okay. All right. What's our discussion topic for after hours? A uh, sort of hypothetical kind of situation. If Ryan had not been completely shallow and had moved down to Tallahassee with Aaron, do you think anything would have happened? And sort of an add on. Do you think Aaron had any kind of potential interest in Ryan or was she just figuring that, you know, if we if they spend enough time together, it would result in romance of some kind eventually because the, the whole six months thing is a weird timeline. I think Aaron and Ryan would have had some sort of I hesitate to call it a relationship, but something similar to what Ryan and Kelly might have, because while Ryan is definitely attracted to Aaron, he clearly doesn't respect her or value her at all. I think he would just want to hook up once or twice and then, you know, get rid of her. So I think the idea of even moving to Florida, it would just never happen because he doesn't like her enough, I think, for that to happen. He just wants to sleep with her, I think. So, no, I don't think that they would have a relationship necessarily. I think that they would sleep together a few times. Now, does she like him? I think she's not disinterested. I mean, he's a charming person when he wants to be, and he's smart. And he's a lot of things about men that Aaron likes. If that makes sense. Um, right. He does know things, you know. The thing that threw me off, though, was just the, the whole, like, maybe in six months. Like, is that her establishing time to get herself settled in Florida? Or is it just like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, it, it's not an immediate months? thing. It's not, apparently she's not interested now, but she thinks she might be interested later. Unless it is that whole, I want to get established before I jump into a relationship here. I think she's probably Miss Monogamy. I don't see her as having one night stands. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think developing that friendship and building on that and then having that be a relationship later on is more her style than sleeping together. But I think Ryan is manipulative enough that he could get her to sleep with him. So I think the six month thing was her saying like, let's be great friends. And then if that works out, we'll date, which is a totally normal way to approach a long term relationship anyway. Uh, but Ryan, I don't think is looking for that. <laughs> I think he's no. <laughs> looking for a, a one week relationship at most. Going on to our voicemails before we close out the episode. The first one we have is from Logan from Illinois. He's a 12 year old listener, which is really cool. I, I, I always love hearing from our younger listeners. Here's Logan. Hi, um, this is Logan from Illinois. I'm 12 years old, and um, I was just listening to your newest podcast where you brought up uh, Toby and jury duty again. Um, do you think that he um, is a strangler himself, or do you think that um, – I, I think it's Danny Cordray, so I just want to know your ideas on that. Thank you. Okay, so do we think that the Scranton Strangler is Toby – 
or do we think it's Danny Cordray, which is what Logan thinks? Do I have to pick one? <laughs> <laughs> no. Thanks for calling in, Logan. I have to say I don't think it's either. I'm not sure. We've we've discussed this, Chad and I. I'm trying to remember if it was on a bonus episode for our Patreon listeners or if it was on our main uh, podcast. But I think I can speak for both Chad and I here when we say that we don't think it's Toby. And I don't think we think it's Dan either. We, we think it's some sort of third party, just a, a, a news story from someone else. We think that Toby was on the case, was on the, the Stratton Strangler jury. And Danny, I don't think really has anything to do with it at all. But uh, I like that theory. Um, I hadn't heard that one before. So thanks for calling in. Yeah, I think we maybe have briefly talked about it on the show before. Back when we first introduced voicemails, it was one of the early voicemails we got. Uh, but yeah, it's just not a theory that either of us put a whole lot of stock in, although it is fun to read about conspiracy theories for The Office and follow the threads, whether you believe them or not. And we just don't. But <laughs> we're, we're glad that you you are interested in it, Logan. So thanks for calling in. I kind of wish that Chad and I like vastly disagreed on this so we could have a good right. argument about, <laughs> you know, no, I think Toby's a Grand Strangler, but no, we agree. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Our next voicemail is from Corey in Oregon. Hey, Chad and Katie. This is Corey in Oregon. A couple questions. Uh, one, out of all of the Jim and Dwight pranks, uh, what would you say individually is your least favorite? Not necessarily, I mean, none of them are bad, but um, just, you know, not as funny, maybe, um, if you could find one as, out of all of them. And then secondly, uh, since you guys are reviewing season eight right now, um, and almost you're on the tail end of it, uh, how would you rank the season so far, I guess, maybe seasons one through seven, um, or maybe even one through eight, um, since you guys are almost done with eight? But uh, I would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Corey is wondering our least favorite Jim and Dwight prank moment. And uh, Corey, we actually did answer this back in episode 83. We looked it up for you. So if you want to go back to that one and uh, refer to our answer there. Um, and then as far as how we rank the season so far, I think we'd rather just wait until we have finished all the seasons. I'm sure that once we finish the finale, it won't necessarily be the end of the end. We might have like a couple extra episodes wrapping things up. Uh, that's not something we've talked about, but I think I'd like to do that. So w that'll be something we address in the end, maybe. Although we, we're we're always trying on the show to not make it a review. We're not trying to rank or score things um, because we just want to talk about how great the show is overall. So thanks for the voicemail nonetheless, but uh, we'll, we'll save that for later. And we do have one last voicemail that we're going to play at the very end of the show. It is a follow-up from Brittany, who uh, left us a Facebook post last week that we mentioned, uh, where uh, she was the one whose house was hit by a tornado. So thanks, Brittany, for hitting us up in voicemails as well. Uh, we love hearing voicemails from everybody, and we will play yours at the end of the show because it was very kind. So thank you to all who left voicemails this week. Before we say goodbye, I do want to mention, just real quick, that uh, we are going to be taking next week off because Katie has her surgery this weekend on her jaw. And I think pretty sure that you need your jaw to talk and it might be just a little bit sensitive. Uh, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as I enjoy this and I love chatting to you for about an hour and a half, I just don't want to have to talk for an hour and a half. <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, you can like hold your lips open and talk through gritted teeth and you wouldn't have to move your jaw. Yeah. That would work, right? Uh, uh, it sounds great, right? Let's do it. 
<laughs> and in any case, I will be traveling. I am going to Florida. Or no, no, I'm not going to Florida. <laughs> Florida. Jim Chad. and Dwight are in Florida. I am going to California. That's complete opposite. <laughs> so I, I will be in California with my roommate next week. And so we're taking a week off. And so we, what we're really doing is we're simulating the three weeks in Florida for you guys. Yeah. And so we had the two episodes today, and then we'll have the two episodes two weeks from now, and that'll be three weeks total, and that'll be all the Florida episodes. That'll so you're welcome. We're, we're just simulating the office for you. It's a favor, really, and, uh, and you're welcome. <laughs> that brings us to the end of our 90th official episode, wow, of An American Workplace, coming up on 100 Fast. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. Please head over to Apple Podcasts where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to leave us any email feedback or ideas, you can do so at workplacepod at gmail.com. Please consider leaving us a voicemail. We love to hear from everybody. You can ask us questions. You can share your favorite moments or funny moments or whatever else. It, whatever you want to leave in the voicemail, as long as it's appropriate, I guess. <laughs> uh, please leave it. Uh, leave it a minute or less, short and sweet, so that we can include it on the show and not take up a whole lot of extra time. Please include your name because we'd love to thank you by name. To leave us a voicemail, all I have to do is dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. So we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail and we would be happy to include you on the show. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And you can find my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes and live streams, uh, which we're having some technical issues with right now, but we'll hopefully have them back soon. Uh, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 90 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 91 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season eight, Test the Store and Last Day in Florida. Bye. Bye. I can't even talk about this with you. Terrific. It'll pass, hopefully. <laughs> Two months. Can you still hear it? Yeah, but you can go ahead. Okay. Andy tries to make the meeting more fun again by asking Meredith. Who she... Andy tries to make the meeting more fun by asking Meredith again. I cannot. I can't say this. I can't do it. <laughs> Hi, Chad and Katie. Uh, my name is Brittany. I left the comment on Facebook about the tornado, and I am fine. Um, we had some broken windows, and it was a little bit crazy, but the tree didn't fall down, and my kids slept through it, so that was pretty cool. Um, I really like the podcast. I listen to it every day. I'm usually, like, one of the first few people probably to listen to it because I get to work so early and just immediately put it on. Um, I even re-listen to them just because it 
is weirdly calming, maybe. I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's really all I wanted to say is that I was okay. So thanks. Bye.